When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Monday Buckeye Talk. From Cleveland.com, Doug Maurice and Nathan Baird doing Monday Madness. We're going to do what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking. Actually going to do that first because we're going to play off the Super Bowl and then we're going to get into Justin Fields and C.J. Stroud. And Nathan, this is a continuation of the Justin Fields NFL conversation. And I feel like it is early, right? It's not the beginning. It's, it's has started obviously since the end of the season, the combines a couple weeks away, the start early of the CJ Stroud NFL conversation. And we want to look at the Super Bowl. We want to think about what NFL quarterbacks, the successful ones do right now and how it might work. And the question really is, could Justin Fields and C.J. Stroud be Super Bowl quarterbacks? And so we want to get to that as our as our main thrust of this podcast. We usually do the watches at the end, but we'll start with the watches because we're playing off the Super Bowl and trying to imagine an Ohio State quarterback starting a Super Bowl, which has never happened before. Did you watch the Super Bowl? I did watch the Super Bowl. I will throw in the caveat that like we were out of town this weekend, this past weekend, kind of got home planned our departure to get home, watch the entire Super Bowl. And then with about five minutes ago, it's tied 35-35. And our son was like losing his mind upstairs. And we're in this process of like trying to like coach him through those things, mostly by just kind of letting him figure it out. But you always have that that time in your mind where it's like, okay, this has gone like too far. Like we actually need to address this. And, and wanting to not just banish my wife to having to take care of all those things. We both went upstairs. I paused the game. But it took us so long to do that that when I came back, the cable had just like left the pause and gone back to like it it, it had left the game. So I didn't get to watch the last five minutes live. I had to like scramble, find on YouTube where those last five minutes were, which actually turned out to be kind of anticlimactic. I thought it would be like maybe I missed up like some awesome back and forth thing. And really, I just missed a very standard other than the, the, the holding call, a very standard drive down and uh, weed out the time and kick a field goal. Yeah, so let's do 45 minutes on whether that was actually holding on the Eagles. No, I was not going to do that. No. We'll let every other show in the world do that today. The, uh, the, thing the player that said I, it was. Uh, I said it was holding. So. The player said it was. No, I know. The So we uh, 
we were out of town as well, and I didn't know if we were going to get back or not. And then my, I was like, I don't care if I miss the Super Bowl. I can watch it in the car or whatever and catch up. And then my daughter was like, I have a Super Bowl party to go to. It's like, oh, sorry. You have a social life, so we have to get home. So she could go to a Super Bowl party. So we did get home for the start of it. Got chilies, of course, which we'll get to in a bit. This is the what you watching part of it, by the way, of what you, because we watched the Super Bowl. And I did think we have reached this point, Nathan, I think, in the NFL where it was really spurred on by the Patrick Mahomes-Josh Allen showdown in the AFC playoffs a year ago. And then the rise of Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow and the Bengals beating the Chiefs in the playoffs a year ago. And this idea that you just you just have to have a certain level of quarterback to win a Super Bowl these days. And I actually think we went a little far with that discussion. And certainly like because Matthew Stafford, as it turns out, is good, but he's not. He's not what we were talking about there. He's not Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow. Josh Allen. He's not Jalen Hurts. He's not a playmaker on his own in the same way. He's more like a second-tier NFL quarterback who, in the right situation, with a good play caller and good weapons and Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey on his defense, can be a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. So I think the idea that you have to have a certain level of guy, I actually think like the AFC tried to emphasize that a year ago. Then we got to the Super Bowl and the Rams won it. Then you saw what the Rams did this year, and it's like, well, was Matthew Stafford great? No. So he's not so that I think was against it. But generally, this idea of the the level of play, I just thought the quarterbacks, even Mahomes limping around a little bit, the one thing I thought last night, and, and maybe this is not the first thing that everybody thinks about Jalen Hurts, the Eagles quarterback, who I absolutely think belongs on that top tier, is the ball placement, man. They were just putting throws on guys' fingertips all game. And it, we'll get into this later, but like I – you you just watch it. We're college football people. I do some NFL stuff, but I did not do as much NFL stuff this year. And you watch the level of precision that is required. And there were some throws that Jalen Hurts made. He had a sideline throw to Devontae Smith. It was one of the it was one of the ones that was reviewed for a long time, and then they they did uphold the catch. Um, you know, sometimes you have to give your guy a shot. The AJ Brown touchdown was sort of like give your guy a shot against a double team, let him make a play, lead him away from the defense a little bit, anticipate. But there were other throws that Jalen Hurts makes made in the Super Bowl, and then Pat- Patrick Mahomes makes these all the time, Nathan, where the window is the size of a nickel. And you wonder, there's no more the DB can do. No more he can do. And the ball is right there. And you see what is required of the truly, truly elite passers in the NFL. and. It just makes me shake my head sometimes of the skill of everybody involved because they. this is not Ohio State's secondary blown coverages, right? Now, there's a couple things. You can scheme it up. They schemed up. The Chiefs schemed up Kadarius Toney for a wide open one. You know, there's some things that happened, but 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 you got tiny windows and you got to make big time throws. And I thought both guys showed how good you have to be. And I thought Hurts and Mahomes both did that. Yeah, I think there's a microscopic margin for error when you get to the NFL regardless. It's certainly microscopic when you're playing at, at this level of the season, right? You're playing against usually the best defenses in, in the game or some of them. So it, it's all 
emphasized at that point. And I think we've seen that, frankly, we'll talk about this more in, in later stages of this. We've seen it a little bit already with Justin Fields' career that regardless of all the things that maybe the Bears do or don't have around him, he was such a precise passer, just a, an incredibly efficient passer in college where you get to the NFL and you have to make that jump. There's an adjustment period. And you saw Jalen Hurts have to make it too. And this was a year that he finally kind of came into his own there. Uh, but no, I agree with you. Like uh, looking back over that game and just like thinking back through that game, like how many times did you catch yourself being like, oh man, that, that was really stupid. Or what was he thinking there? Like it just never happens. It, it starts to look a little bit like, I remember the first time I ever watched an NBA game in person and like literally everybody who came into the game can hit any like little jump shot inside the three point arc. And it's just like automatic. And it just starts to look like a, just a crazy level of skill. And that's a little bit what we were seeing with the, the quarterback play last night. So I want to make sure I say this the right way. I did think when you think about that Super Bowl and late in the fourth quarter, you know, on Twitter, there's a lot of people saying, are we talking about like the best Super Bowl ever here? Are we in that kind of contention? And then, as you said, kind of the way it played out at the end, I don't know that we got there exactly. You know, if it had come down to a great throw on the last play of the game to win a game in the 30s with two high level, you know, maybe we would have been there. And, and again, how do you compare it to my, we were at, uh, we were out of town as well. And my nephew, who's 12, was in his flag football championship. And his team was ahead by a score. And the other team was out of timeouts. And they had like maybe one or two plays left. And they threw a deep ball that a kid caught like right in front of the goal line. And someone on my nephew's team ripped the flag off right there. The other team was out of timeouts. They had one play. And they snapped it, and his team used a blitz, and the blitzer grabbed the quarterback's flag, and they were stopped on the one-yard line, and my nephew's team won. And I was like, man, that's like the Titans-Rams Super Bowl. That's like you yeah. get stopped on the one-yard line, right? Like if this had been well, a stopped on the one-yard line kind of thing, you know, that would have been historic. Yeah, except except Titans-Rams didn't get another play. Like that was what made that so amazing. That's one of the first Super Bowls that I yeah. remember watching, like from beginning to end at a Super Bowl party with like some work colleagues uh, when I was very young, kind of, I was young for my, my group at that, that stage of my life working in a newspaper. And I can remember like the people I was with, I remember watching that live like that, that one really stands out to me in a way that a lot of Super Bowls don't. And I remember like, uh, I'm, I just liked in Helen Hunt in Castaway when Tom Hanks comes back and he's like, Hey, mm -hmm. what's going on? I was on that a year and a half. And she's like, Oh, the Super Bowl. It was so exciting. I was like, Oh, wasn't that convenient that, that was based in Nashville, and then they had an exciting Super Bowl that they could reference in Castaway. So that was nice for them. So anyway, the ending of this game, you know, wasn't quite to that level. But one of the things I did think was when you just think about the level of defense and then the quarterback play on top of that, I didn't feel like the defense gave stuff away. I thought the offenses had to work for it, but the offenses were skilled enough to work for it. I thought Ohio State Georgia would have been like a good like JV game in front of that Super Bowl. Like I thought the back and forth nature of like Ohio State Georgia, right? And it's like, okay, Georgia's not going to give you they're not going to give you anything. Jalen Carter and Keely Ringo and Chris Smith and those guys, they're not going to give you stuff, but CJ Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka took some of it, right? And then the Ohio State defense the guy fell down, but you know, like Tommy Eichenberg's not giving stuff away there, right? You made, um, you know, JT and Jack Sawyer, JT Tumolo and Jack Sawyer, they're not giving stuff away. Stetson Bennett, 
that last drive had to work for it. They had to drive down the field. And I thought, because then you get to, for instance, because sometimes college games don't look like NFL games. And it's just kind of the offenses that you run. But, you know, like TCU Michigan, I don't think looked like an NFL game. It was a really great game. But I don't. I don't think it looked the same. I think Georgia, Ohio State kind of looked like the Super Bowl. And there's a lot of guys who were on the field in that game who are going to play in the NFL. And Jalen Carter and CJ Stroud are going to be two of the top five picks. And they were both on the field for that game. So I thought it's a reminder, Nathan, sometimes of it doesn't mean it's the best way to win it in college. But right now, Ohio State football is trying to win the same way the Chiefs and the Eagles and the Bengals and the Bills and basically everybody in college football is trying to win, even in a world where the Eagles have incorporated the quarterback run into their offense because Jalen Hurts is so good at that. Even in a world where Lamar Jackson with the Ravens and Josh Allen with the Bills and certain other quarterbacks can really make running a part of their game, there is a precision there is sort of a vibe to the game, the way offenses work, and then what a defense has to do to try to slow down offenses like that, that it's like, oh, yeah, no. that I, I thought it felt it was the same kind of vibe, which I think is a nice reminder. doesn't mean you can't win with the triple option in college. But I think it's kind of fun when your team in college is emulating the way the very best teams in the world do their thing. Yeah, it's... Another example of uh, you know, Ryan Day and his, his background. I mean, just look at the quarterbacks that he's recruiting. There's, re, there's It's not like they're carbon copies of each other, but it, there does start to become a pattern there of the kind of player that he wants under center with this program. And I think the whole concept is what you've seen trickle up to the NFL, too, which is the offenses have such an advantage. You know, I, we grew up in an era where the Super Bowl might be you know, 21 to 17 and, and very much like those kind of standard NFL scores. And I think we started to see trends towards what we saw last night, 38, 35. I think that's going to maybe be more of, of what a Super Bowl is and what these national championship level and, and playoff level college games are going to be too, because the, the offenses have such an advantage that on defense, you're really just trying to disrupt them enough to get the ball back to your offense. It's not really about shutting that other great offense down because that, that's not really even a concept. And, and Georgia, Ohio State was a great example of that. So a little odd, like no Ohio State vibe in the Super Bowl, which, you know, compared to a year ago when, you know, it's Sam Hubbard and Von Bell and Eli Apple and whatever chunk of Joe Burrow you want to throw in. And I know Jordan Fuller was hurt by the time the Super Bowl came around, but he was still such an important part of that Rams team. Uh, along the way, and I'm probably leaving some guys out, and there was just no vibe to this. Like Trey Sermons on the Eagles, not a factor, not not a guy who plays. And I guess was Justin Hilliard on the Chiefs roster? I don't know if I even realized that. It's like, again, not a factor, not a guy who plays. I don't know. But like no, no Ohio State vibe in a world where Nick Bosa, Super Bowl week, was named the NFL's Defensive Player of the Year, right? In a world where Ezekiel Elliott has been an NFL star while Michael Thomas, Michael Thomas has been an NFL star, but you're not sure where their, their two careers are at, where Joey Bosa has been an NFL star, but he dealt with some injuries this year, you know, where Cam Hayward has been an NFL star in Pittsburgh for a decade, but the Steelers aren't quite at that level right now. So it was a little bit odd for Ohio State to not be more directly involved with that. But I did think like Super Bowl week, and again, it conjures what ifs, and you go back, and I'm sure like, 
every time. It's like, hey, 2018, your defense stunk. What's up, Greg Schiano? And Greg Schiano's like, the best player in the NFL on defense was on our team, and he got hurt in the middle of the third game, and that's what happened. My gosh. Sometimes whenever I think about Nick Bosa, and Nick Bosa is better than I thought he'd be. I thought NFL, from an NFL standpoint, I thought maybe my ranking of like NFL success of the three Ohio State edge guys would have been Chase Young, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa. And I just thought maybe Nick was a bit left less of a technician. I don't I don't know what I thought. It's like trying to split hairs there. But Nick Bosa is an absolute dominating force in the NFL. And just I like watching Nick Bosa because the way he lines up, the way he puts his hand in the ground, he looks like uh, he looks like a slingshot. It looks like he's putting himself in the rubber band and getting ready to shoot himself to release that and shoot himself at the quarterback. He is an unbelievable NFL player, Nathan. And it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that time when he was on Ohio State's team. And as a freshman, he played some. As a sophomore, he played more, but he was always in a rotation. And then his last year in college, it got cut short in the TCU game. And my gosh, it's great for Ohio State to have Nick Bosa there. But every time I see him, it's like, holy moly, they missed out on something. Well, yeah. And I wonder if your impression, your your prediction, if you will, might have been a little bit skewed because of that, because you got to see Chase Young fully healthy and unleashed as a third year player. You got to see Joey Bosa more like completely unleashed, whereas with Nick Bosa, which would have been like the peak of his abilities at the college level that season got so truncated you only got three games of it and and he was gone I wonder if if we if you had gotten to see a full season of him uh, in in 2018 like what, what how that would have changed your thought of it going in not that you couldn't make some evaluation based on that but it might have changed how you thought of that because you would have gotten to see what he looked what he was fully realized at that point for a full season yeah, I mean it's uh I mean it's like anything um, we've run through this. I mean we're going I think it's very possible Nathan that I mean this is that we're going to be at this spot with Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, and we've run through this sort of the bad luck injury and otherwise of Ohio State stars in their final years, certainly you know what Chris Carter went on to do in the NFL, I think you would apply that kind of idea to this. So I don't I don't want it to be a bad thing. When when people see Nick Bosa, I don't want them to be mad and sad because that is no way to live. That guy is a Buckeye and he's doing things and it reflects well in Ohio State when he does them. But um, holy moly. Holy moly, they could have used him in 2018. Okay. any Anything else about the Super Bowl itself that stands out to you um, from the what you're watching standpoint of things? It's funny, I was watching the game with my wife. We don't often watch sports together. And something that jumped out to her immediately was the condition of the field. And I Hmm. will admit that I know it was a topic of conversation, but I was so wrapped up in the game. But for whatever reason, because she doesn't care that much about football, I think she looked past that and was like, what is, why is this field so torn up? There's like chunks of this field everywhere. I've never seen this before. And then gradually over the course of the night, as you watched, it became more of a topic of conversation. It was certainly something people picked up on on Twitter. And it's the same thing that they do with the field every time there's a big game, I think. They spend something like eight hundred grand to 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 plant this to bring in this turf 
this this realtor from Oklahoma State or whatever, and they did they do the same thing. I'm pretty sure that they did for 2019 Ohio State Clemson that they do for a lot of games where they they roll it into the stadium and then they roll it back out during the day to get sunlight or whatever, and then they roll it back in. And it isn't the first time I've had this problem, and I wonder how much longer they're going to let them keep doing this because it did seem like it was an issue with the playing conditions at times last night. It's a great point. And it's my wife thought the same thing. It's one of those things you 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 pull back from it and it's like the people who aren't in it day to day are just like, this is nuts. And it's like, it is nuts. And so it's unacceptable. It's embarrassing. And again, that that place in Glendale, Arizona, which is in a parking lot next to a Walmart out in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. outside of Phoenix, that they can't. They can't get that figured out. And it was funny that people had like the tweets out, like bragging about the grass. And it was like, mm, like pregame was like, are you sure? Are you sure there yeah. that you want to be bragging about that? But someone's going to get sued. Someone's going to, I mean, the league's going to get sued. The the, the stadium's going to get sued because somebody's going to have a devastating injury. That's a 1000% attributable to the turf. And again, you know, we, I, I asked Ryan day about the turf. The last time we talked to Ohio state, Tony Gerdeman, had asked about the turf earlier in the season. Like, this is a real issue for all the things that football, college, and pro worries about. The idea that you can't get the playing surface right when it has a direct effect on the health and welfare of the players is insane. All right. Did the Bears um, conjure up any special food in the what you eaten category of things for the Super Bowl? So we were on our way back and we were thinking ahead. We thought we we're like, oh, we better call. We want to get roosters. We're like, we better call early. We had some other like logistical things that we had to make happen before 630. And so it was before five o'clock and we started trying to call roosters, various roosters. And the one that would pick up the phone told us the food wouldn't be ready for pickup till 630. We're like, well, that's not going to work. So our backup plan was a place I've mentioned before, uh, Happy's Pizza here in not too far from us in our neighborhood with the, uh, as I've described, the suitcase of chicken where you get the chicken tenders and the fries and the, the Texas toast or whatever they throw in with it. And that's what we had last night. So we still got our chicken and our fries. It just didn't come in the manner that we originally anticipated. So we got chilies because kind of we didn't know what else to do so we got it for takeout but the one thing is that my wife traditionally once a year makes my favorite dessert which is Mm. bananas bananas fosters cheesecake squares which i have talked about on here before it's just like a pan of like thin cheesecake with a nice graham cracker crust and then there's some caramel and some nuts on it and again we were out of town and i was saying like oh i'm I'm not going to get them this year because like we're not going to be home on super bowl sunday and my family, who we were with, was like, oh, your wife's so nice. Katie's so nice. She'll make them for you. She'll make them for you on Monday. And I said, no, she won't. She's not that nice. It's She makes them on Super Bowl Sunday for the Super Bowl. And we were out of town to see my family. And so that's on me. And so she is not going to do it. And they were like, no, I'm sure she'll make it. And I was like, I'm telling you. And then... They asked her, and she's like, no, I'm not making them. I'm not that nice. What are you? Are you nuts? It's his fault. We're not home. So, no, he doesn't get them. So, I didn't get them. So, I didn't get my traditional Super Bowl dessert. And now I'm going to, like, for the next two weeks, not go on a diet necessarily, but try a different eating thing that will prohibit me from eating anything like bananas, foster, cheesecake squares. So, I missed my big... I'm kind of mad about it. It's my own fault. It's my own fault, but it's my favorite thing. It's so good. I sh- I'll post the recipe 
uh, on Twitter or on the text or something. It's so good. So anyway, my big Super Bowl dessert, it was what I was not eating. What you're not eating? I'm not eating my favorite dessert because I miss my day. So that's on me. And I have to live with that. All right. Let's do what you're thinking real quick. I actually have three things um, I want to talk about. One um, was this flag football thing. And they ran an ad about flag football during the Super Bowl that I thought was one of the better ads. It was a woman running through and everyone trying to grab her flag and that kind of thing. And I will say, uh, I have not had a lot of exposure to flag football, but I was at my nephew's flag football turn, you know, championship game. I went to practice uh, one of the days before, and I it was the most well-oiled, well-organized, like youth sporting thing one of that I've ever seen. And it's this flag football league where they're they run routes on every play. There are like 12 year olds looking at wristbands to look at the the play call. Um they're working on very specific route concepts in practice. They're working on the precision of their route running. And it's six on six and there's no line and everybody goes out for a pass. And it was the most well officiated youth sporting event I had ever seen. They had four officials for the championship game who were wearing like the officials like shirts, the black and white stripes, and they were constantly communicating and explaining their calls. And it did, it was interesting, Nathan, and then I guess this is my fault. I just had a, an idea in my head of flag football. And this was more sophisticated, I think, than maybe what some other 12-year-olds are getting in their tackle football, and I'm not besmirching any 12-year-old tackle football. If that's what you choose to do and you're comfortable with that, that's great. There are great 12-year-old tackle football coaches out there, and it can be a great sport for kids. And obviously, there are considerations with uh, head injuries, but that's true at every level. So I'm not. this is not about that. This, to me, is this is a props to flag football because my nephew is getting like a real education in how football really works without that part of it, right? Without the blocking, without the constant collisions, without the tackling. But he's but it looks like a seven on like, you know, you talk about seven on seven stuff in the summer that that high school football players do. And like, oh, seven on seven teams coming through Columbus, they're gonna come to an Ohio State camp. And it was very similar to that. And it just changed my view. And I just want to like it was great. And and it's my my fault for not maybe knowing more about the flag football options in Ohio and that kind of thing. But I came away just super impressed and I don't know, encouraged perhaps about a way that people who want their kids to participate in football or kids who have an interest in football, but maybe are wary, right? Of the more physical nature of tackling of the, the head injury issues that we all talk about, there's really, really a great outlet for for people who still want to participate in the sport and get a lot of the really good things about it. So I just, I was shaking my head like all weekend. I could not believe how great it was. And I was telling everybody involved with the league, I'm a close talker. My children make fun of me. If I'm at something and I think you do it well, I will walk up within four inches of your face and give you a 30 minute, 30 second explanation of why I think you did a great job at the thing that you did and why you impressed me. And so I did that with everybody involved with the flag football league. So kudos to flag football. I just, I just didn't know it could be that good. 
Yeah, it makes me wonder if you would know this, if like how good the high school program is around there, and if this is because I remember you know from covering high schools back in the one the the, the one that's popping in my head is a baseball program uh, in Lafayette that I covered uh, a guy named Jake Burton who'd covered a couple state championships, uh, Nick Wickren who was a reliever for the Indians a few years ago came through that program. And, uh, but he was the guy that I think was in charge of hiring the youth coaches, like all the way down, like they had the little Mavs program and it was like all the way down into the youth. And then, so those, whatever was working for him at the high school level, those were the same concepts that got taught all the way down. I think you'll sometimes find that, especially with football, where like, um, what's going on at the youth level is basically a, it really is a precursor to what they're wanting kids to learn on their way up. West Lafayette High School has done that too over the years. They've, they've evolved towards that and become like one of the best like smaller school programs in the in the state of Indiana. So um, I'm sure that goes on in, in Ohio and Pennsylvania and Iowa and, and everywhere else. So let me give you one more thing that I'm thinking about. So that was that, that, this is what you're thinking. So we did what you watch and we watched the Super Bowl. What you eating? Nathan ate wings. I didn't eat my banana Foster's cheesecake squares. And then what you thinking? I was thinking about flag football, but also I, I rode in the car uh, this morning. I don't normally listen to morning drive time radio, but I did on Monday morning and I cannot believe how bad it is. The inanity of morning drive time. They weren't amusing. They weren't funny. They were closed mind. Like I couldn't, I just listen to podcasts all the time, and there are some very good sports talk radio hosts out there who are doing it on a daily basis. I think Cleveland and Columbus have some excellent sports talk radio outlets that I, I, I think are almost better than you would expect. I think Ken Carmen and Anthony Lima in Cleveland, uh, I'm, I've been on their show a lot. I think, I think they're excellent among the people who are excellent. I think Bo Bishop, who is on in Columbus and Cleveland somehow, is excellent. So I'm not besmirching them, but I am besmirching like morning, like drive, like morning drive radio, play a song and then talk about Rihanna for four minutes in just the least informed, least interesting way I've ever heard. I, I could not believe how bad it was. I don't know how many people out there listen to the like rock music radio in the morning and driving home from work where they're talking in between the songs. It's not just playing the songs. They're really talking. I could not believe how bad it was. My wife and my daughter listen to it every day. I can't. I, I was dumbfounded about how inane it was. And as a person who talks, we all talk. How could you not be better at talking when it's what you're paid to do? I I was angered. I, I just was like, they can't find three people better than this. This is ridiculous how awful this is. So I just wanted to say, listen to podcasts. Do you listen to the radio? Never. I literally never listen to the radio. It's it's probably about 75% podcasts and about 25% Spotify music. But it's all, it, it's all coming through my phone. I have not listened to the radio in a long time unless... The only thing that I ever listen to really that is technically radio is if I listen to a radio feed on the MLB app in the summer of a game, but it's really, it's, it's, so it's, it is somebody's radio feed, but it's not on my radio. It's coming through some other game and sometimes it's just a random game, but that's the closest I come anymore. Really very, very rarely, unless I'm running really late to take my son to daycare and I want something to be on in the car and I don't have time to fidget with my phone. I'll just have, um, one of the, the local stations on, but that's like once every couple months. I just feel like the, those things used to succeed because you were trapped in your car. 
and you had no other options. And you have so many other options now. You have an infinite number of options for people to talk about anything you're interested in, for you to listen to any song that has ever been created at any point in time with one chord into your phone, and to continue to listen to the I'm trapped and have no choice morning zoo. I cannot believe it. Because like, if you're looking for news, then listen to news. Don't listen to these people talk about the thing that everybody in the world watched, whose opinions are much less interesting and informed than your own. Now I'm getting, now I'm entering dangerous territory. Buckeye talk. <laughs> I'm really entering. I do feel like, but you have to choose us. You have to choose us. I don't know that anyone could ever be trapped. I mean, if we could trap people with Buckeye talk, if we could trap you, if we could lure you in somewhere, like you know, like with like a cupcake, and then. You knock, you know, you, you we pull the stick out, the box falls on you, and you have to listen to Buckeye talk for two hours. That would be a great strategy for us. We can't trap you, unfortunately, for us. You must choose us. But I hope at least a few of you are, are choosing us over your morning drive time. All right. I have one more thing I'm thinking about, but I'm going to save it. What are you thinking about, Nathan? Anything you uh, on your mind right now? You you actually brought up one of the things I was thinking about, which was I know there was a lot of discourse last night over whether Rihanna was pregnant or not. I was most impressed that she was able to keep singing through that whole thing while I assume pooping her pants while being raised hundreds and hundreds of feet above oh. the field. I would not I would not have handled that well. I was incredibly impressed by that, pregnant or not. Uh, I thought that was, uh, and, and I, I'd be very curious to hear, um, and she's a pretty private person, so I don't know if there'll ever be like a TikTok about it, but just like the preparation that goes into that. Maybe that's a part of her shows all the time. I don't know, but it seemed pretty dangerous. Uh, somebody tweeted out last night, um, boy, uh, that was such a great performance. And they were naming off the things they liked about it. And then they said minimal choreography. And I'm like, minimal choreography. That was, that was like 50 people hundreds of feet above like dancing on these platforms. Like maybe she wasn't moving a lot because again, pregnant, but I'd say there was a decent amount of choreography that went into that performance. Yeah, no, that I was scared. I'm glad everybody got out of there safely. So the last thing is, and I, I, they're, I think they're making us do this. So Ohio state basketball is a disaster. It's an absolute disaster. And I, I know, I guess they think they're building for next year, which I guess is partially true. But it is it is mind-blowing to me how bad this is. And to get undressed at home by 20 points by a fine, a good, fine Michigan State team, uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to start going to a couple basketball things because I've talked about them on here, but I've not written. And so I want to show up a little bit before I just un, you know un, unload something if I choose to write something but I'm going to start I'm going to go to a interview session or two and at least a game or two here coming up because I I feel like I need to I need to ask questions I need to see it I need to feel it but this is the biggest disaster of an Ohio State sports season that I've had any connection to I think since I've been here since 2005. And that's not the topic about me, but that's just for some context. Even the 2011 football season, you knew why it was happening. It was, it was, they lost all the players who were suspended and then Terrell Pryor didn't come back. And Luke Fickle like was thrown into it in an impossible situation. And they got the extra point blocked, you know, against Purdue and it fell apart. But this is, 
this is mind-blowing to me. And so I think we need to address this again here from a more holistic standpoint. And there's a thing I would like to do to try to put this in context more on this podcast beyond just me shouting about things. So I have that, hopefully, I have it in my head. I need to start talking to some people about it. But I would like to do some things because I do think the thing, Nathan, is the context of any Ohio State program that matters. And and I think people, it's not to besmirch any of the 36 athletic programs at Ohio State, but some of them are, have a brighter spotlight. Some of them have more money put into them. Some of them have, have a higher standard based on the history of the program, the resources of the program, the competition, the recruiting base, all kinds of things. But I just don't think Ohio State finds the season like this acceptable in anything that matters. And I'm not sure it finds it acceptable in anything, anything. And so it is disastrous and we need to figure out what's going on. And I'm, I'm slightly dumbfounded by it, Nathan, that it's not just bad, but that it is this bad right now. And even as a casual observer, right. Which I think you would classify yourself as that you were a person who has covered college basketball in depth, but it is not in your job description right now. Are you not shocked that any, solid Ohio state's been a solid big 10 basketball program that any solid big 10 basketball program would have, would fall off a cliff like this in a year. It, yeah. And I have heard Chris Holtman say a couple things recently or, or, or have seen some things recently that actually gave me some, again, as a casual observer, like some optimism for lack of a better term for what could be coming. I thought when you hear something from behind the scenes, like, hey, we realized there was a problem with leadership. We revoted the captains, whatever. I've seen other programs do that. It's kind of like a self-admission of something had gone wrong and you're correcting it. I think that is, as much as it's a problem that happened in the first place, that could be a positive thing. But I also heard him say recently something about how uh, the Big Ten is now like the deepest league in the country. And I understand what he's getting at there. but and Because again, I'm a casual observer. I don't really follow Big Ten basketball on day-to-day basis anymore. So like I went and looked and like obviously Purdue has been very highly ranked. And then they were like, Indiana was in the top 25 and one other team I think was in the top 25 and that's it. Rutgers, so it's not like and that was it. Yeah. yeah. It's not like there's seven teams in the top 25. There was three and two of them were like in the twenties, 18 and 21, maybe at the time. And so and I was like, Oh wait, so what was he getting at there? Like I, I just, listen, I, I covered a team my first year covering. I know people hate when I bring up Purdue. I'll do it quickly. My first year covering Purdue basketball, 2013, 14, they'd been to the NCAA tournament six years in a row under painter. They had a, a bad year and then they, bottomed out my first year and they finished last in the big 10. They lost their last seven games that year. They lost to Northwestern at home when Northwestern was nothing. That was their senior day. It was like the most pathetic senior day I've experienced. I've ever seen by any team at any level. And, and, but very famously, Matt Painter came out and said like, Hey, this isn't a school district. I picked these guys. That's why we're bad. I picked the wrong guys. And that's the kind of thing you have to start hearing from Chris Holtman a little bit. And, I, I also look at this roster and I know what they're saying, like looking ahead to the future and they've got this incoming class and there's, there's, you know, something good coming ahead. Uh, but you've got, you've got NBA talent on this roster. Now you had NBA talent last year. It's not going anywhere. So is, is what you have coming going to be so much better than what you've had these last two years or even than what you have right now relative to where you are, like what you're actually achieving right now? Like what is 11 out of 12 now? Right that they've lost and you're losing to teams. Yeah, at home they were that I they just were two and oh in the big 10 another three and 11. Right. So yeah, 
so uh, I, I it, man, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's terrible. So, but I, but I want to, I want to uh, address it with some firsthand knowledge. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna make time in my schedule to go do that this week. And just like it's just the contrast. I just want Ohio State fans to be able to enjoy their basketball team. There are multiple ways you can enjoy your basketball team, and nobody's enjoying this. And just like this, the contrast, and we, we all recognize this. Uh, people know. I think my daughter is a freshman at Northwestern, and she stormed the court yesterday. Northwestern beat Purdue. At home, it was the first time in the history of Northwestern's program that they beat the number one team in the country. And it's just, it was a reminder. Like, she's as happy as I've ever seen her in her life because her school had a great athletic achievement. And it is just a reminder. It is part of why I've been beating this drum, probably annoyingly so, Buckeye talk, about the joy, about trying to find the joy in the teams that you love. And I want Ohio State fans to find the joy. And there were a lot of times that Ohio State football gave people joy this year. And then there were times they gave their fans heartbreak. But there was at least joy in there at times, right? There was some joy in there. And I hope, like, you just want to hang on to the joy as much as the misery drags you down. And so what what this Ohio State basketball program is not giving Ohio State fans right now. And I know people say, well, then I tune out. And again, I just think, Stephen, when we did this podcast a week ago, just made a great analogy of like the football program is sort of like your house and the basketball program is your vacation, but you should be able to enjoy your vacation and nobody is. And that's not right. That's not right. And that's on Chris Holtman. So it's, it's not just about tournament berths and it's not just about your record. It's it's about hope and optimism and how you feel when you turn on the TV that day or when you show up at the arena. Do you feel something inside of you that you think, hey, this could be a great day? And then at least every now and then that great day is delivered on. They're just falling short in so many basic areas now. And I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on every in and out of the basketball program, but I can I can see results. And the results are a terrible record and a terribly unhappy and becoming apathetic fan base. And that is one of the things there's your record, Nathan, there's your record and your standing. And that was a bad year. And then it's what you are doing to the program. And sometimes you can shake off a bad record and Hey, listen, well, I mean, the guy built up some capital. They did this, they did this, and then they had a dip, but you have to acknowledge what you are doing to the program and how the people buy the tickets and watch your games and buy the jerseys and donate to your athletic department and just care about you. It's not even about always money, certainly partly about money, how the people that love you, that want to love you, how you make them feel. And that is obviously directly correlated to your record, but it's not the same thing as your record because there are times when you can forgive a bad season, when you can understand a bad season. And it does not feel like that's where Ohio State basketball fans are because nobody saw this coming. And as much as you said, yeah, well, he talks about this in the future, I don't, there is no guarantee of that. Greg right. Oden and Mike Conley aren't coming next year. So that has to be factored in. And right now they are, they are sucking the life out of people who care about Ohio State basketball. And that's what I care about much more than are you three and 17 or seven and 13 in the big 10 are your fans miserable 
Yeah, and I, it, it, you, when you look ahead to next season, it's not like you're adding those people to Bryce Sensabaugh most likely, right? Like he's most likely gone. So now, we're, a year from now, are we talking about like, well, this team looks like it's going to be good, but they're so young this year. There's just been some growing pains. So like next year's the year that like, how long do you wait before the, the kick-in happens? I guess that the one thing you could say for next year is having, you know, if, if those guys can come in and, and, and set a foundation as freshmen, maybe they're peaking late in the year and that's what gets things turned around. But if, 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 if you bank everything on next year and there's another early tournament exit next year, um, I, where do you start to turn at that point? No, he's fired. I, I was trying he's to fire next year if they're not good. I was, so. I was trying to think if, if, if this was like the baseball team, and because you have to qualify for the Big Ten tournament in baseball, so let's say, and it's kind of equivalent to making to being like a low seed, I guess, in the NCAA tournament almost. So, like, if if the baseball team had qualified for five years in a row, but had not really done anything in the tournament, and then had a year this bad, would they be looking for a new baseball coach at the end of this year? Like, those are the analogies you start making at some point. No, and that's what I want to do. I, I want to try to put the basketball team in the context of everybody else at Ohio State and what the standards are. And I want to talk to people about that because Gene Smith is very interested in this being a holistic athletic department from one through 36. They send out, they are very interested in that, whatever the cup is, where the, they judge your whole athletic department. Yeah. They want to be Alabama in football and they want to be Stanford as an athletic department. That is their goal. And we can talk about whether that is realistic or not. Alabama, by the way, is going to be number two in the country in basketball in this this week's poll. So, like, if we can pretend it's like, well, you know, you're a football. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, no. Oh, yeah, okay. So that matters. This is not – Ohio State is not a place where it's all football and they don't care about anything else. They care about everything. And they care about men's basketball second. And they stink. So that needs to be addressed. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about C.J. Stroud and Justin Fields. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, Nathan, let's start with Justin Fields. Because Justin Fields and C.J. Stroud were both making the rounds at Super Bowl Media Week. And one of other, you know, this is a, it was a talking week. The week before the Super Bowl is a great time to talk football. And one of the things was that Matt Nagy, the fired Bears coach from two seasons ago now, uh, was talking and he did an interview and basically said, Hey, you know, like we kind of messed it up with Justin Fields, but I thought they used him, you know, more effectively in the first year of Matt Eberplus and whoever the offensive, Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator. And you saw the way the Bears did unlock Justin Fields as a runner to a, a much greater degree in his second year in the league. And I did think, Nathan, and again, this is playing off the Super Bowl a little bit. I think there is just a lot, a lot to learn for the way the Eagles brought out the best Mm -hmm. in Jalen Hurts and what Justin Fields could be. Now, as we said, Jalen Hurts put passes on guys' hands all game in the Super Bowl and then also would just run QB power 
and QB counters. And here's the snap. Here's a one-second hesitation. Here's the ball tucked in my elbow, and away I go. And I think Justin Fields is even is more dynamic than Jalen Hurts as a runner, although Jalen Hurts is very good. Mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts is a little – I think Jalen Hurts is kind of in between JT Barrett and Justin Fields. You know, there's maybe a little more power, straight power to it, where Justin, I think, can really put on the Jets and put some moves on people. But the balance, Nathan, the balance of how dangerous Hurts is in both aspects of the game and that the Eagles in the Super Bowl and all year were not afraid to use that, the way they used him on quarterback sneaks, the way they used him as a get-out-of-jail-free card on third down sometimes – you know, some of the deep shots they take, right? Again, that ball to A.J. Brown for the touchdown. I just watched Jalen Hurts, and while admiring, absolutely admiring every part of his game, and then his leadership and the person he is and the way his college career went and how his NFL career started and where he is right now, I think you admire Jalen Hurts from his eyebrows to his toenails. That guy is, I think, exactly what you want as a person and with the skills he has as a thrower and a runner in the NFL. But I don't think I watch Jalen Hurts, Nathan, and see anything that I don't think Justin Fields can't do. Now, I think think maybe Justin has to maybe pull a little bit more out of himself as he grows in the league as a leader, as the face of the franchise. I think Justin's just low-key. Jalen Hurts is low-key. But I just think maybe Justin has to keep pulling that out of him. But what his skills are, I hope the Bears watch every Eagles game a hundred times from this season. And I and and the question that we we have here as the headline of the podcast is: Can Justin Fields be a Super Bowl quarterback? I don't want to make it this easy, Nathan. But part of my answer is: If Jalen Hurts can do it, I think Justin Fields can do it. And that's not to say they're exactly the same. But it is to say there is – they are, I think, even in a league where guys run more, I think they also are a little bit rare, maybe in how similar they are. Because, like, I think both Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson are a little – aren't as good throwing the ball. They're a little, like, inaccurate compared to, I think, what Jalen Hurts is and what Justin Fields can be and has been at times. And I think Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson are a little more um, like, oh my gosh, here they go. You don't exactly know what's going to happen when they run, but it has a chance to be spectacular. And I just could see like Jalen Hurts was more like a machine, like bang, 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 bang. And I can see Justin, while being spectacular, being that kind of quarterback with the right system and also get him receivers like A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, well, yeah. which would go a long way. Yeah. But I don't know. Watching Hurts, I thought a lot I thought a lot of fields. Well, yeah, so did I. And I, that was exactly the analogy I was going to make today. Here's some numbers. Uh, Jalen Hurts in 2021, so this would have been his second year in the league, 61.3% completions, 7.3 yards per attempt, 16 to 9 touchdown to interception ratio, and an 87.2 quarterback rating. Justin Fields, second year in the league, so less than a percentage difference, 7.0 yards per attempt, so three-tenths of a yards difference, 17 to 11 TD interceptions, so compared to 16 to 9, very similar ballpark, and an 85.2 rating compared to 87.2. So, like, not that far off, really. Uh, And and Jalen Hurts coming into this year, I think, was still thought of as a um, 
certainly not a project, but a, what, what do you want to say? Like an aspiring talent, like someone who was still on his way up. He wasn't there yet. He wasn't a finished product. He wasn't someone that thought was necessarily a Super Bowl quarterback at that point. But you can see the progression that, that Justin Fields is on. Now, there are a couple of, there's one huge difference between the two. And it's something that neither one of them could control. You know, Jalen Hurts came into the league as a second round pick. The Eagles just used a normal second round pick on him in the normal process of, of rebuilding their team after I think they were like nine and seven in 2019. So they weren't a terrible team at that time. They did only win four games the next year. But you know what I mean? Like there was it was a very whereas the Bears were already not a good team and then had to trade up to get Justin Fields. So they were already a team that was compromised and then using draft capital to trade up and get him. And I said at the time, that's what, as someone who followed the Bears growing up, I'm worried about that for Justin Fields because I think it's going to take them longer to crawl back up because the talent just isn't around him. And now you can look, they need help in, in so many different areas, including those playmakers. But Justin Fields also does need to get better on his own in some things. Um, you know, his pass grade per PFF, if, if you're judging just based on like the guys in the top who had at least 50% of their team's dropbacks was um, 24th, just in just in the basic grade. That's not great. Um, his uh, turnover worthy plays was uh, highest in the NFL. Again, just going by the, the PFF uh, stats that they have. His big time throws was 19th. Um, his adjusted passing percentage was 22nd. So he needs to improve as a passer. And one of the ways also he needs to improve as a passer is as much as they need help on the offensive line for him. And they're going to get some, I think in this draft, I think there's going to be some Ohio state names. that could be interesting to think of in terms of the bears in this draft, but um, his uh, uh, time to throw was 3.45 seconds first in the NFL. But I don't think that's only because it isn't because his offensive line was deceptively good. It's because of one of the things that we've always talked about with Justin Fields is he holds the ball a lot. And there's times where he needs to get rid of it faster. I think that number needs to come down, maybe counterintuitively. That number needs to come down a little bit uh, because it's not necessarily a reflection of how your offensive line is doing all the time. Um, so he needs to improve as a passer. But there also is so much reason for optimism because the the floor maybe is a little bit higher. It's not like he's a catastrophe out there as a passer right now. He needs to refine some things. And as the rest of that team comes together, that's where you can see him th then be able to take advantage of him. Because with the Eagles, it's not like Jalen Hurts has to go out there and put the team on his shoulders and carry them necessarily. Like he does a great job as a runner, but how many times like his highlights as a runner were like finishing off drives as that team can like progressively make its way. Like I just, you need to see more of that from the bears where Justin Fields doesn't have to run the ball 50 yards to facilitate its touchdown drive, but maybe use him around the goal line as a real weapon after you've had a more conventional drive to get there. I think the bears would be a great team to sort of adopt what the Philadelphia plan is, which is we sort of don't punt because when you have a quarterback like that on third down mm -hmm. who can get out of trouble and prevent you from taking a big sack and you can just be sort of again like just keep moving the chains and then when you get to fourth down you have a big powerful quarterback who can sneak it you get that push I mean it just feels like the Eagles are playing a different game than a lot of other people that they're just like oh no we we get four downs you get three and it just changes the whole vibe of the game and I would adopt that with the Bears because I think Justin Fields can be that kind of thing. And then I think it gets you out of your head on third down. For instance, you don't have to hold the ball and make a spectacular play. Take what's in front of you. Cause if it's fourth and three or shorter, we're going for it. Mm 
Like, don't worry about. And now you don't want to take that. I'm pro holding the ball. <laughs> I, Joe Burrow holds the ball. Deshaun Watson holds the ball. Why do they hold the ball? Because they want to make something happen. So right. I don't want to take that out of Justin Fields. I never, I, I, we talked about that a lot when he was at Ohio state. I, you're giving something up that he is not a get the ball out of his hands type of quarterback. Because if you leave it in his hands for long enough, something absolutely amazing might happen. It, but you also are right. You need to balance that with a better offensive line without feeling like he has the entire burden of the offense on him and hold it at the right moments for the right reasons. But as a team and as a young quarterback, to your point, I agree with you. They aren't there yet. I think he's still... Even some of his spectacular plays in year two with as many yards as he ran for, sometimes like, well, if I don't do this, what else are we going to do? Correct. What, and I, what, What's the other option? Right. And there's a lot that goes into that number, uh, time to throw, that I cited before. And one of the things is Justin Fields, when he was at Ohio State, it, it made – every single time he held the ball that long, it probably made sense because the the, the talent advantage that you you had at receiver – over the other team in almost every game he played in those two years at Ohio State was huge. Like, take away the playoff games, but in every other game, he had the advantage there. And in, like, zero games in the NFL so far as he had that advantage. Like, his receivers just aren't upper-tier receivers in the NFL. They're not getting open. So the Bears do have to upgrade there. And then there's going to be times where a play where he held the ball that long in his first two years in the league is going to look very different because of the guys he has out there who can get open. But let's also remember last night, uh, you know, the Eagles came into that game last night uh, with the third most sacks in the history of the NFL behind the two, the 84, 85 bears. And I thought the chiefs did a really good job for the most part of getting the ball out very quickly. Not that that isn't, I guess they're some part of their game plan anyway, but like, you've got to be able to have that in your bag too. Those days when you're going against a team that is still going to have an advantage up front, how do you get the ball out from a passing standpoint and, and keep facilitating your offense? The other thing I think here is I just, I don't think the bears can, Use the number one pick. They cannot use no, it. No, they're, they they're trading. They have to trade it. So every mock draft that has the Bears taking either Jalen Carter or Will Anderson, I just ignore because they can't do it. Because I'm just looking at what the Rams uh, sent to the Titans for the 2016 draft where they took um, Jared Goff, number one. And the Titans got an extra one, two extra twos, and two extra threes to slide down from one to I think they slid to eight and then they traded down again, I think. So like, that's one of those where like, that's a, the bears have to do that. There's just, there's not even a conversation because jail, you, there's two things the bears are trying to do. Number one, they're trying to win, but number two, they're trying to figure out how good their young quarterback is. And Jalen Carter and Will Anderson is not going to do number two. And I'm not sure it's going to do number one. So the idea that I, you cannot take Jalen Carter when maybe you get two ones in this draft instead and you take a receiver and an offensive tackle. That is what they should come out of this with. They should slide down, get two picks in this first round and wind up with either Paris Johnson or Peter Skaronsky and then wind up with either Quentin Johnston or Jackson Smith and Jigba or Jordan Addison. They should get two of those five players. And then stockpile twos and threes also, because the other part of this is CJ Stroud can help Justin Fields because the better CJ Stroud looks and the more it makes teams want to jump to get ahead of the Texans and maybe take their quarterback of choice at number one, whether it's Stroud or whether it's Bryce Young, 
or and there's just teams who are at four and six and eight wanting to get ahead of each other. The better C.J. Stroud looks, the more it seems like there are multiple franchise quarterbacks in this draft, the more valuable that Bears pick becomes. But for Justin Fields, they cannot use it. They cannot take a defensive player number one overall. It would be nuts to me. So there's there's a scenario that I think would make a lot of sense, which is the Colts trading up to one. Colts have number four. If the Colts did that, the Bears could trade up from trade down from one to four, and then possibly still get Jalen Carter or Anderson. But Carter's the one that's that they've been maybe a little bit leaned more towards from the, the discourse you're hearing right now. That I think would be okay. Uh, I think that could be still defensible depending on what other picks you're getting along with that. But in general, I, I agree with you that um, that taking the, I don't I like Jalen Carter a lot. I like Will Anderson a lot. I don't think I would what what you would be gaining from them compared to what you'd be giving up in draft capital with so many needs across that roster it would be like borderline indefensible. But of course, they have to posture that right now, right? They have to get it out there through channels that maybe they would just do that because that's part of the negotiation. All of this is is back channel stuff. I mean, people. I don't know if people know this. You go to pff.com slash mock, I think is what it is. And they have a great mock draft thing there where you can make trades for picks and trade picks into the future and stuff. And you can really get lost in that for a while. And there's a great Bears fan fiction thing where you could do where, oh, well, maybe you convince the Titans that they have to, or the Texans that they have to trade up to one. So the Bears trade back to two and then the Bears trade back again from two to four. So now you stockpile a bunch of picks and you could still get Carter or Anderson. I don't think that's likely though. I think the most likely scenario would be either that thing at four with the Colts or what you're talking about, which is they get an offer from Seattle at five or the Raiders at seven or the Panthers at nine that comes with just so much like an offer they can't refuse that they would do that and, and just trade back that far. And now you're not getting either of those top defensive guys, but you still have your pick of the best guys at some other really impactful positions like offensive line where you have Skaronsky and Johnson like receiver. All those isn't as top heavy a receiver class as last year's was. So you would, you'd have a ton of options and you're picking up sec- second and third rounders. It could be really valuable for a team that again, just has so many needs. All right, so this quarterback trade discussion leads us into C.J. Stroud. But before we leave Justin Fields, Nathan, you can interpret this however you want to. I guess the question is, is it will Justin Fields be a Super Bowl quarterback? Can Justin Fields be a Super Bowl quarterback? I think can is probably the better answer because there are multiple quarterbacks There are many quarterbacks in the league who can be Super Bowl quarterbacks. But like Josh Allen, I think, can be a Super Bowl quarterback. He has not yet been a Super Bowl quarterback. Although, frankly, actually, there's like still parts of Josh Allen that I'm like, well, I think the parts of Josh Allen that you still slightly raise your eyebrow at are maybe one of the reasons he has not yet been a Super Bowl quarterback because he's still just a little like when the chips are down, is he going to make a killer turnover or miss a throw? He's spectacular in a lot of ways. But anyway. Let's make it can. Can Justin Fields be a Super Bowl quarterback in your mind? Sure. I mean, the Bears have had two Super Bowl quarterbacks in their history. One was Jim McMahon, who was a, you know, a good player at BYU and then was a fine player in the NFL, but I think he's remembered more for like his swagger and his personality on that team than anything else. And the other is Rex Grossman, who, again, and in both of those scenarios, you had a quarterback who was fine, 
I, I'm actually I'm almost a Rex Grossman defender. He was better early in his career than people remember. Um, but he they were drafted onto teams that were almost like championship teams intact. But, Do you see what I'm saying? But is oh, that let me? But is that a relevant comparison for Justin Fields because he was not drafted onto a championship team and that's that what was I'm kind of getting at. history. That's what I'm getting at. That's why yeah, it's okay. can instead of will because uh, it, it's it's going to be tough for him. With the, I mean, just look at historically, like in, in the recent history of the NFL, there's like basically two paths to doing this. You can either have a really strong team that has a quarterback on a rookie deal and they capitalize on that or like because that's what the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes the first time and then they paid him and now he's Patrick freaking Mahomes and he's that good that even if you're paying him 40 or 50 million dollars a year, uh, he's make he's he's worth it. Like he 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 is still you're getting your cap chunk out of him so the bears could be in a really tough position where justin field starts to play great but he can't pull the rest of this roster up on his own and then now you have to pay him and it hamstrings your ability to finish off the project that's that's still something that lingers in my mind as a problem for for them but i think it it i think can i would say can still because i think his we haven't seen the best football out of him and if they do this rebuild right, if they hit this year right, I think it could push them towards something like what the Eagles were able to do this year. Which I think, even to me, is more important why they have to trade this number one pick because you've got to get some extra twos and extra threes because you can't turn this first round pick because of the things you're talking about into one starter. You should turn it to four starters. Four moderately played young starters so that when Justin Fields is now getting to the point... And the other thing is, listen, you can... You know, it's a fifth-year option, so he's only entering year three. So they'll have him for year three, year four. You pick up the fifth-year option. That's year five. Then you can franchise him, for right? You can still tag him for another year or two. That I, I agree with you, and I spent a lot of time about with Baker Mayfield and the Browns about the clock of the rookie quarterback contract. But also, like, it doesn't get crazy for, like, several more years here for Justin Fields. But if you can pick up – some guys, you know, some interior offensive linemen, some linebackers. So, you know, they traded Roquan Smith because they don't want to trade. They don't want to pay Roquan Smith a hundred million dollars, a hundred million dollar contract like Baltimore just did. Right? They blew it on the Chase Claypool trade. The idea that they traded yeah. what is the first pick in the second round to get Chase Claypool, who was very eh. But you look at the Eagles. I mean, I think if they draft the receiver and then go sign a veteran or go do something, what if they got? I mean, it doesn't have to all be Ohio State. But what if the Bears next year had Michael Thomas and Jackson Smith and Jigba? That sounds like A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith to me, a version of it, right? That's not yeah, – again, they don't have to only be Ohio State receivers, but, like, you can flip it pretty quick, right? The Eagles blew it on the Jalen Rager pick when they picked him instead of Justin Jefferson, and guess what? Like, they're okay because they addressed receiver very aggressively and specifically, one in the draft, one by trading a pick to get a veteran, and Jalen Hurts had absolutely the two guys his need, he needs – I think the Bears could flip their reality at receiver very quickly, and they could do it with this draft if they do it right. I, I think you're right. I think that, though, better come also with Peter Skronsky or Paris Johnson Jr., or they, they need offensive line help to, to, to maximize what they can maybe do offensively. But there's a lot of places they can upgrade on offense. Uh, quarterback is one of the few positions there that uh, Chicago, the Bears cannot upgrade offensively. Okay, so I will agree with that. I think Justin Fields can be a Super Bowl quarterback with his skill set, with, I think, the improvement that he will show. I think the type of person that he is, again, he's a little bit low-key, 
but I think the things you read coming out of Chicago, and it's almost been, I think, reaffirming, Nathan, that there is this, it's more of an analytical discussion, and the analytics people who I respect, I think would say, and Jalen Hurts is the example, it's like, well, you think you have a quarterback, but take another one to make sure you have a quarterback. The Eagles thought they had a quarterback with Carson Wentz, and then they took one anyway. Now, they didn't take it number one overall. They took him in the second round. But then when Carson Wentz flamed out, they're not searching. They had a guy right there. So there are people who would say, take Bryce Young and have Bryce Young and Justin Fields, and then see who the best one is, and then trade the other one. That's not going to happen. That is sort of a theoretical discussion that the NFL is just not at that point. Yeah, the Cowboys did it 30 years ago with Steve Walsh and Troy Aikman, but nobody's going to do it now. But I do think the idea of should you trade Justin Fields and draft a quarterback, that is more at least realistic. I don't think that's impossible, but it feels like that discussion, the organization has rallied it. Now, of course, what are they going to say? And if maybe Justin Fields is traded by the time this podcast comes out, but I don't think they are. I don't think they're blowing smoke. And what it's caused, Nathan, is for this team and this organization and everybody around it, from the owner to the GM to the coach to the players on the team, to say, no, 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 no. This is our guy. So maybe going into year three when you're you were just coming off, the you're the worst team in the league. And what has happened? Because of this theoretical quarterback discussion, the Bears have very publicly and, and clearly – rallied around their current quarterback to say, no, he is it. And I think that can be really good. I'm not saying that Justin Fields needed it because I don't think Justin Fields is a noise guy. I think Justin Fields is a, I'm on my couch with my dog and I'm studying the playbook and I'm good to go guy. But it's kind of a nice thing. So it feels like Chicago is all in on Justin Fields. And if you give him help, and real support, and you call good plays. I'm not saying the Bears are going to be a playoff team in 2023, but I think we could see what this real version of Justin Fields can be sooner than later, which goes back to the Hurts comparison that you started this with. That again, like this is this was a step for him, and maybe he's ready for a really big step in year three. And I was sort of ready for them to publicly let him dangle a little bit more publicly because he isn't a noise guy. I agree with you. And you could go to him privately and say like, Hey, listen, you know how this game is played. We need this number one pick to have as much value as possible. If people think we might take a quarterback with it, it makes it more valuable. We can go get more guys to help you. So just, you know, just don't listen to what you're hearing out there. Pay no attention. Like you're our guy, but we need to like, like let this buzz build a little bit, but they didn't do that. And I think there's value to that as well. And the other thing I will say is this bears uh, the Claypool decision is does give you pause, but it's also not the Bears uh, ownership or leadership group that traded up uh, and <laughs> historically bad to, to get Mitch Trubisky. Uh, it's not the one even that then had to kind of counter that by trading up for Justin and, and trading away capital like it. So this is this group's chance to like maybe um, – take a bigger, a better swing and, and get things going in the right direction. So uh, giving them the benefit of the doubt that with their first shot at this, that maybe they'll correct some of the past mistakes. All right. That's two votes for yes. Justin Fields can be a Super Bowl quarterback next. Can CJ Stroud? We'll do it at, after this break on Buckeye Talk. All right. Doug and Nathan are back. 614-350-3315. I have a plan for Valentine's Day. Well, I'll tell you it. And I'm going to 
send it out to the texters. So this is the kind of thing that texters get to do. If you want to be a tech subscriber and get a two-week free trial, 614-350-3315. We're going to do anti-rants. And we're going to do what our tech subscribers love about Ohio State football and or being an Ohio State football fan. So it is anti-rants. We are expressing love. Believe it or not, on Buckeye Talk, that will be the Tuesday pod on Valentine's Day. C.J. Stroud, windows, 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 windows. There's a size, there's a size of a contact lens in the NFL, especially in the Super Bowl. And I think that potentially will bring out the best of C.J. Stroud. And all the things, it's a brain conversation. We had two years of brain conversations, especially in the second year to start with C.J. Stroud. But there is a very true, I think, and real accuracy conversation. There's the there's the understanding. So I do there's understanding of what a defense is doing to you and what your offense is trying to accomplish. And once you have the understanding, that leads to anticipation. And okay, I'm not gonna throw I'm gonna throw where the thing is about to happen. And then when you have anticipation, that should allow you, if you then have also the physical skills, to be accurate in making throws in windows that are not even there when you are throwing them. And I think Nathan, it is possible. I will. I don't think this is. There are people on Twitter, the draft analyst people, and there are a million of them now. You can you can just go through Twitter and you can start to see people are starting to break down the film, and there are people who are starting to say, "Oh, ho, ho, this C.J. Stroud guy." And I think in the end, that is going to be the film itself. Two years of it is going to be C.J.'s best attribute in this process. I think he'll do fine at the combine. I think he'll do very well in interviews. I think when he throws at the combine, if he throws at the combine, maybe if he doesn't throw there, he'll throw at pro day. But that's all on air, right? right? I don't think that actually, I don't think any of that is going to show CJ's best attributes. His best attributes have been on film for the last two years. But I do think putting throws on guys' fingertips time and time and time again where we started this podcast, Nathan, when I watched that, I thought, that's what I think CJ can do. And so I am curious how this quarterback conversation will evolve. You have Bryce Young, who I think is monumentally poised in the pocket, but he is significantly smaller than CJ Stroud. And then you have two guys in Will Levis and Anthony Richardson that I just think are more athletes first. Mm-hmm that they have that extraordinary Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. Now, both of these guys are bigger, so I think they're both more Josh Allen types. Just big, like, run you over, run through you, throw it a mile kind of stuff. And CJ's, neither of those things. CJ's CJ's not too small. He's not too big. He's just right. He's the, he's the delicious, uh, correct temperature porridge, which is very comforting and i will be very curious to watch this quarterback evaluation evolve before the nfl draft in in late april nathan but when i watched that super bowl i thought you need to hit small windows and i think that's what cj stroud does better than anybody in this draft and again i mean it's it goes back to what we were talking about very early in this podcast um with how ryan day selects a quarterback develops a quarterback the offense that he gets them to run. Um, uh, I think CJ is going to come into this, you know, very well prepared. 
Um, and, and I know that there are some things, you know, it, as far as his mobility that is going to get questioned. Um, I think he showed in the Georgia game where he could go with that. Uh, but th- that's not the baseline of where he can succeed in the NFL. I think he has, as much as any of these guys, proven with his performance that he, what, what he's proven his NFL success baseline through his performance the last two years. Like the things that he would be asked to do the most in the NFL, he has shown he can do. I think as much or more than than Young or the, those other guys you were talking about. So then it becomes a situation of, you know, Justin Fields got put into not a great situation in the, with the Bears, and it, it wasn't ready for him when he got there. And so then the coach got fired. And then once you have the quarterback, then you can try to hire the people around the quarterback. So they fired, they hired a defensive head coach, but then brought in a quarterback's guy to run the offense and hopefully get the best out of Justin Fields. C.J. Stroud, where he goes, I think it is going to matter to him. And just like I thought it mattered to the late great Dwayne Haskins, that I think he got thrown into a mess with Washington, with Jay Gruden and a head coach who I think in the end, maybe it wasn't the quarterback that Jay Gruden wanted, but I think Jay Gruden was doing a bad job in Washington. It was on his way out anyway. And Daniel Snyder is a mess. That entire organization was a mess. Yep. And we never, I think, got to see the best of Dwayne. And then he went to the Steelers and again, before his tragic death was a backup quarterback. I don't know what the rest of his career held, but I think there's a version of the career we did see from Dwayne Haskins that would have been potentially quite different in a more stable situation. So I do think it's really going to matter to CJ Stroud where he goes. But I think in talking about this, Nathan, I think there are multiple good opportunities here as you mentioned, I think the Colts are are absolutely one of them. They have the fourth pick right now, and they are reportedly going to hire Shane Steichen, who is the offensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles, as their head coach. It's like, oh, okay. Well, that seems like it could work. One of the other options, I think, is Carolina, who is currently number nine, who just hired Frank Reich, the fired Colts coach, who once upon a time was the offensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles when they won their last Super Bowl, but again, as a quarterback guy, was a quarterback himself, is a quarterback developer. I think Carolina could be an interesting fit for him. Detroit, I think, is a real possibility for him as well. When you talk about teams that have multiple picks, Detroit right now has the sixth pick and the 18th pick. If the Bears are trying to get capital, it's like, hey, we'll take Detroit 6 and 18 plus other stuff for them to move up to number one and take the quarterback they want. Maybe it's Bryce Young. Maybe it's C.J. Stroud. I do think Detroit could be in the mix for him. And then Houston, I think, remains in the mix because either maybe Houston would decide that Houston likes C.J. Stroud better than Bryce Young or they have the number two pick right now and somebody jumps them and takes Bryce Young. And now all of a sudden, not that they're, well, they're left with C.J. Stroud. And so they just hired D'Amico Ryan, who's a defensive coordinator, as their new head coach. I think that's a great hire for the Houston Texans. Um, But I I think that will matter to C.J., but I don't think it matters as much it maybe as it does to some of these specific quarterbacks with the running skills where you saw the Ravens get the best out of Lamar Jackson. You saw the Eagles get the best out of Jalen Hurts. You saw the Bills get the best out of Josh Allen. You have to acknowledge what your quarterback skills are and then play to that. So I think with Justin, Justin didn't have that from the jump. I do think 
as much as I'm saying I think it matters, I also do think CJ is going to be CJ. So I'm curious, but I do think if he goes somewhere where he basically has a Ryan Day type as his head coach, which I think Shane Steichen in Indianapolis could be, I think Frank Reich in Carolina could be, you know, Dan Campbell with Detroit, I don't think is that. D'Amico Ryan's with Houston, I don't think is that. It doesn't mean I don't think he can succeed with those guys. But I'm I'm super curious to see how this works out, how good CJ looks, how much teams want to jump. But how do you think his landing spot matters to CJ's chances of being a Super Bowl quarterback? Uh, I think it's potentially huge. I mean, it's again, I think it can happen regardless, but where would it happen the fastest? Like there was one team that of all those that you rattled off that I thought would be the fastest potential path to success for any number of reasons. And it was, if he were to fall in this draft, which I don't know how likely that is, but there are people out there who seem to be enamored by Levis. There's our people out there talking about Richardson. Like if, if he were to fall all the way to nine to the Panthers, I think that could be like a kind of a jackpot thing. It would it would tick him off, first of all, to fall that far. And he's a guy who kind of has that in his motivation bank a little bit already, um, coming up short in the Heisman and those sorts of things. And it would also be the closer to a team that has a foundation right now that's ready to closer to ready to win. And then you throw the Frank Reich thing into it. I just think there's a lot of reasons why that would make sense. I'm I'm the, the Colts are a really interesting situation because they, for a while now, have been one of the better franchises in the NFL. Like, I mean, with with Manning and Luck, and they've, they've gone to a couple of Super Bowls and won one and had had kind of consistently in the, just these last few years, partially because they haven't been able to figure out quarterback. They've really drifted from that. And then things got really weird this past year with Ursay, the owner, and, and bringing Jeff Saturday in to be the, the coach. And so I'm... I'm I'm very curious where they go from here, but they have to fix quarterback uh, first and foremost, regardless of anything else going on. I don't think what goes on there is as bad as the kind of corrupt to its heart sort of thing that was going on with the the Washington franchise. Uh, things are just a little bit weird in Indianapolis, and I think fixing quarterback could help put that back on track. So they are still a team that I think he just makes a ton of sense for either them having them fall into their laps at four and being satisfied with that, or maybe falling in love with him, seeing in him some of the things that you could say about, I'm not comparing him to Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck, who are both, especially Peyton Manning, but you know, you, you see the passing um, skill that he has first and foremost, would, would they fall in love with that to the extent that they would want to trade up and get him? Maybe. In terms of teams that need quarterbacks, Bears at one, don't. We said that. We think that's going to be a trade. Texans at two, do. Arizona Cardinals at three. You think they're still in with Kyler Murray. Colts at four, do. Seattle at five. I do think Seattle remains, gets traded from the Broncos. I don't think that's a terrible spot where you would maybe ride with yeah. Geno Smith for one more year and like sort of tell CJ Stroud, okay, Geno's the guy for a year, but get ready. Like you're going to be the starter in year two. I, I don't I don't think that's terrible. Um, Detroit at six, obviously do the Vegas Raiders at number seven. They need a quarterback Atlanta at eight. I saw somebody like do that. They did just take Desmond Ritter in the third round. I don't know if that would preclude them from taking a quarterback. So that's a maybe Carolina at nine absolutely does. And then the Titans at 11 and the jets at 13, I think also need quarterbacks. The jets at 11, 
That's Mike Vrabel. Excuse me, the Titans at 11, that's Mike Vrabel. And then the Jets at 13, that's Garrett Wilson and Jeremy Rucker. So it's like, I, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, you can find lots of things. But I would say my prediction that I will put down here right now is I think the first two picks in this draft are quarterbacks. So I think the Bears are going to make that trade. And then anybody trading up for that's trading up for a quarterback. And then the, te- the Texans are absolutely taking a quarterback. So then the question is, well, do you think the first two quarterbacks are going to be Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud? Or for our audience, will C.J. Stroud be one of the two? I think he will. And I will be almost disappointed in the NFL if somebody will Levises themselves into oblivion to take him early. And I, it's just, I don't really understand how the NFL makes decisions sometimes. Because I think if you want, the idea specifically of, I think, Having a quarterback who can run is a great bonus. And if you do it the right way, it can be a primary thing. It's really good. But especially if that guy's big and physical. I understand the idea that like Lamar Jackson and Colin Murray might make you a little nervous because they're a little bit smaller. So that's Justin. So the idea that somehow the Jets talk themselves into Zach Wilson and the Niners talk themselves into Trey Lance ahead of Justin Fields a couple drafts ago, when it feels to me like if people are going to fall, because if you're going to fall in love with Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, how could Will Levis or Anthony Richardson go higher than Justin Fields, who was doing it at the highest level with, I think, absolutely the same or better athletic attributes than Anthony Richardson and Will Levis, and he's a better thrower. So there's part of me of like, I don't, how could you, how could we get to a place where Justin Fields is the fourth quarterback off the board? But then Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, or one of them, goes ahead of C.J. Stroud. Like I don't, I don't know how that computes. Maybe the Jets were just idiots to take Zach Wilson. That might just be the the conversation there. And the Niners outthought themselves. But then people thought Mac Jones. And again, I just thought Justin Fields was the second best quarterback in that draft behind Trevor Lawrence. And I don't know. I think maybe this is proven out. So I will say I think Nathan, my bet right now is that C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. Probably, I guess, I guess probably Bryce Young won CJ Stroud two, which becomes a CJ Stroud to the Texans conversation. Where you're saying, like, oh, he might be a Texan. There's a really good chance he's a Texan. A really good chance. Unless, and this would be the best thing for the Bears, get the Texans to fall in love with Bryce Young and be like, hey, we're gonna trade the number one pick and you're gonna miss out on Bryce Young. Make that trade and then make yep. a second trade and then trade out no. of two. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, CJ's going second, but not to the Texans. So my bet right now is they're the top two quarterbacks. If I had to bet right now, I'd say Bryce Young one, CJ Stroud two. If you had to bet right now, where do you think? How do you think CJ fits into this? I, I think I think the same thing right now. I do hold out that caveat that I, I think what you see happen, I think it's definitely happened in twenty twenty one, where Lawrence was the one that had the least red and or yellow flags like he was the one that just seemed like the most not only was there a big ceiling but a high floor for trevor lawrence he just seemed like the most sure thing of that quarterback class and then from that point on it's how much you overthinking those flags with these other guys and i think that happens every year i mean there's a lot riding on this and teams just overthink this sometimes i thought that definitely happened with justin fields where you couldn't just look at him and say look at this. I mean, just look at the package, like, and what he did, like it, it's teams definitely overthought that. So 
Do I think that it's very much a possibility that someone will overthink this and look at someone like Levis or Richardson and be like, well, I know that he doesn't look as polished now, but that's why we want him because we can get him into our system and make him even better. Like, I think that could, could definitely happen. But if I had to bet on it right now, I would, I would say Young and Stroud one, two. And I'm glad you mentioned the Seahawks. That was a team that I had forgotten to mention, but they actually have because of that trade with Denver, which looks not great right now for Denver. They have some extra capital to play with. And they're a team that could maybe move up from five to two, not really take that big of a hit in terms of like their baseline draft capital that they have and still get a pretty good quarterback like a CJ Stroud. So Bobby Slowick has been hired as the Texans offensive coordinator. He's 35 years old. He was a former passing game coordinator for the 49ers. Knows D'Amico Ryan's from that. So that's who's going to be calling the plays with the Texans. Uh, I really do think, and we talked about this a lot at, on the CJ Stroud legacy pod. And if people haven't listened to that from a couple weeks ago, I still would direct people toward that. I don't know if I'd want to throw CJ Stroud into a one and 16 season. Like if you are a bad team picking him and like Detroit's trying to win Detroit, like if it winds up in Detroit, they're ready to go. The Raiders, I don't think are tearing down to build back up. They just made a move on Derek Carr. I don't know that they're going down to the studs. No, I think that was just a business um, decision. You know, Seattle had a pretty good, Seattle had a pretty good year this past year. So you think about the teams and that's like the best thing that can happen is you have like a, a pretty decent team trade draft capital to jump to get you. So you go high, you get the extra money for going high. You don't have to fall, but then you're not on a terrible team. If I were the Texans, if the Texans take CJ Stroud, I think I maybe would start Davis mills and just tell CJ you're not starting this year. And I often am in favor of like, throw them out there, let them learn. The, the more you play, the better you'll get. I just think CJ and we had this long conversation about CJ. I think we all like and respect CJ Stroud. I don't know that I'd want to throw him into one and sixteen on a rebuild, right? Just for his own like progression as a quarterback. And so, if you have a first year head coach, you have a new staff. Again, I think D'Amico Ryan's is potentially a home run hire for the Houston Texans, but they're building something back up. If he winds up there to say, "Okay, you're good," but it's not, and plenty of teams have done this over the years, but it's not going to be you this year. Get ready for 24 to set the world on fire. I think that could be really good. If you go to Pete Carroll in Seattle, if you go to a Detroit team that almost made the playoffs this year, places like that, then I think, to your point, if you're dropping them into where there's structure built up around you, both from a coaching staff as the most important thing, but also from talent that you're on the field with, then okay. But don't send C.J. Stroud out there to get sacked 60 times. Don't do to C.J. Stroud what the Bears did to Justin Fields. Right. Because I do think just their personalities, I don't think Justin loved it, but I think Justin could go back with Uno, sit on his couch, break it down, no noise, be okay. I think it would be tougher on C.J. So I think that's something that teams have to take into account. But I think once C.J. grows into it, I think C.J. has a chance to be great. Yeah, and, and listen, like the Bears did it with Justin Fields. He didn't start from day one. They had veterans in place to like ease him into that until it was obvious that it was time to just make that change. They weren't going to win anyway. Move well, forward the with starter him. got hurt. He wound up starting week three. He wound up starting like week three. But, he, he but that wasn't the plan. It wasn't the plan for him to start early in his rookie year. No, you're right. And by the way, uh, a little team called the Kansas City Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes, and he barely played his true rookie year. Right. So like it's it's it used to be no, the norm, right? Him. Like yep. growing up. 
we would the you know, the the Bengals would draft Carson Palmer first overall, and you're like, okay, we'll see him in two years. Like there was just like no thought of putting him on the field as a rookie, and now it's it's completely flipped, and now it's almost the exception when you don't put him out there. But I think we've seen again, Mahomes is still the best example. Like the idea that like, and they had a, like a proven veteran in place there, but still like it, to have that level of talent and not put it on the field right away, um, and to have it pay off this way is maybe going to make you know it's a copycat league, so we'll see if some teams take a look at that and 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 make that approach in the future too but a lot of times though it, again when it's a really bad team because the college game has advanced the way it has i think it's just legitimate that sometimes these guys are coming in as rookies and they're just better than some of the retread garbage that you have on your roster already on a two and 14 team and it makes sense to start them uh but that's why a team like seattle or even Maybe even Carolina it would would make some sense. Detroit, yeah, it would make some sense. I'm skeptical that the Bears would make that trade with Detroit. I don't know. We'll see. When you're trading within the division, would you still make that trade? It would have to be – you really have to be getting worth for getting it. Getting first, man. Yeah, so, yeah. I'd do it. Yeah, I probably would too. Uh, so, so the idea of this – so that's – do you think C.J. Stroud can be a Super Bowl quarterback? Sure. Yeah, I think so too. I, I, I would say yes. And I do think there's some funny stuff. Again, you just go through Twitter. I saw like people making like CJ Stroud, Jalen Hurts comparisons, just like random people on Twitter. It's like, nope, 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 nope. What actually you would hope CJ could be is like if CJ, if CJ does a little more of the off-platform stuff like he did against Georgia, it can be, you know, something between like Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, right? Maybe a little more off-platform than Brady. <laughs> That's the but- you know, is like, that all? And, and, I, and I'm, I'm talking. I know, I know, like I know style I know. of play. And again, because like CJ references Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, Joe yeah. Burrow. But I actually think Joe moves a little bit better than CJ does. But if CJ moves, you know, maybe 25 percent more than he did at Ohio State, and and like Patrick Mahomes, now Mahomes had the big run, but typically Mahomes moves to throw, right? That's what he's looking to do. Hertz will run. Mahomes moves around and looks downfield. I think if CJ can do that. Absolutely, it could work. The windows, the windows, the windows. The idea of this, Nathan, for Ohio State, for Ohio State fans, for the Ohio State football program, when you look at Ohio State quarterbacks in the NFL, I think people know this. We'll just do a brief reminder of this. Dwayne Haskins, three wins as a starting quarterback in the NFL before his tragic death. Cardale Jones, who I just thought there was like a, I mean, honestly, like talk about like a big a big physical quarterback who can run and throw the ball 50, you know, not 50, a hundred yards down the field. What Josh Allen became in Buffalo. I thought Cardale Jones had a chance to become before Josh Allen got in the league. Like, I'm not sure. Like it might be a little wild, but man, he might truck people and throw deep balls. And it just, it just never happened. I I really thought it had a chance to happen. And it would have looked a lot like Josh Allen did. So Cardale, did not win a game in the NFL. Terrell Pryor, three wins as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Troy Smith, four wins as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Got mono in camp. Got beaten out by Joe Flacco because he got mono. And then we saw what happened to Joe Flacco. I do think there is a version possibly of like, if Troy Smith doesn't get sick, that version of the Ravens, which was a defense first team, could it be that Troy Smith is the quarterback of that team instead of Joe Flacco? I don't think it's a thousand percent 
impossible. But again, Troy, smaller quarterback, kind of a specific thing you had to do there. The most wins, regular season wins for an Ohio State starting quarterback, 42 NFL wins for Mike Tomzak. Kent Graham had 17. Tom Tupa had four. Bobby Hoying had three. Like there's two guys in double digits, Nathan, Mike Tomzak and Kent Graham. And Justin is uh, three and 12, I think it is right now, as a starting quarterback in the NFL. So what would this mean? What could this be when, again, we watched the Super Bowl where there, the Ohio State wasn't really involved at all, but when Ohio State is involved at the highest level, it's defensive guys, it's receivers, it's Zeke in the backfield. Maybe there's, you know, Taylor Decker's a good offensive lineman, that kind of thing. It's never been quarterbacks. What if Ohio State quarterbacks are finally good in the NFL, Nathan? I, I think it could be huge and not just for, I mean, with tangible reasons, because look at every other thing that Ohio State has tried to be position you about, like edge rusher you, those guys get in the NFL and, and do legit things. Again, take us back to our Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa conversation that started this whole thing off. Cornerback you, those guys go to the NFL and have made an impact in the NFL. Uh, wide receiver you, you're starting to see it in the NFL. I mean, Garrett Wilson, rookie of the year, Chris Olave having a huge year. Like these guys are getting in the NFL in immediate impact at, in, a, in a star kind of way. I mean, Michael Thomas was like pound for pound the best player in the NFL, arguably there for a year or two. But what does Ohio State really, really want to be right now? In, a, in kind of, I guess, a corollary to wide receiver you, they want to be quarterback you. Like Ryan Day has already said it. I asked him this question a couple years ago on draft day, I remember, about you know that, that correlation between you know having having upper first round quarterback talent. And he's like, absolutely. Like, that's what we have to do that. That's what this is supposed to be. We're putting guys, we're sending guys to the Heisman Trophy ceremony and their number, their early first round NFL draft picks. But they've also got to follow that up with the success. You can point to every other position and say, we are going to develop you. You're going to go to the NFL and you're going to be a star. And I think they've got to start doing that at quarterback for this to really hold up the way Ryan Day wants it to. It can't just be, you know, college success. And that's why, frankly, you can look at someone like um, at Jalen Hurts and what that means for Lincoln Riley now can say, yeah, you. it's not just that I'm developing good college quarterbacks who put up college numbers and win the Heisman Trophy and have that little formula figured out, because we all know that that's not necessarily a, a harbinger of, or a, a predictor of pro, pro potential. You'll also go to the NFL and you go to a Super Bowl. Three years in, you're in a Super Bowl. Like those, that's a selling point now for every guy that he goes out and tries to recruit. Ryan Day doesn't have that in his holster yet. Doesn't have that on his resume that he can say, I've, de I've developed quarterbacks who then go in the NFL and, and push teams to that other than Joe Burrow. He can still say a little bit about Joe Burrow. Uh, he could still kind of use that example, but uh, people are going to say, well, uh, they have a comeback for that. He needs to develop the guy where there's no comeback. And some of that's out of his control. It's, it doesn't, it's out of his control that the wrong team drafted Justin Fields potentially and wasn't in position to utilize him at first and then now has to try to catch up and hope that it does so at the right in the right time um, and it's out of his control who drafts CJ Stroud and whether it's the right situation but if you keep doing it enough one of these guys is going to hit and that that's the first thing that is happening right now it's happening with such regularity they're just spitting out these first round guys one of them's going to hit one of them's going to make it. I mean just look you mentioned Joe Flacco Look back over the past 10 years, because all we're saying is, can can these guys quarterback in a Super Bowl? Like the list of guys who have quarterbacked in Super Bowl just the last 10 years. Start with Flacco in 2012, um, Matt Ryan, Nick Foles, who won, Jared Goff, 
Jimmy Garoppolo, Matt Stafford. They're not like going to go down as like all time greats in the history of the NFL. You don't have now a lot of times the guys who win those are it's like, it's like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes and guys who probably will go on that list. But you can get there as just being really good in the right situation or just kind of catching lightning in the bottle sometimes. So I, I will say the one guy, uh, I, and I don't know that Ryan Day like tries to claim this guy, but he has his signed jersey in his office, mm, his and Ryan. it's Matt Ryan, yeah, from Boston College, because when Matt Ryan, I think, was like a freshman and maybe a sophomore, Ryan Day was a GA, and then Matt Ryan's senior year at Boston College, Ryan Day was the receivers coach, and so that's one of those, but like. I'm sure Ryan Day was like, uh, "Hey, uh, quarterbacks room, you guys, uh, you guys need any extra help over here? We're done. Uh, the receivers meeting is done. We're done over here. If you want me to come in, but he he needs examples to point to that you don't have to squint to see. Right now, you kind of got to squint to see Joe Burrow as example. You really got to squint to see Matt Ryan. He needs that like in your face, like, oh, you mean C.J. Stroud? That like three years in, he just quarterbacked Carolina to the Super Bowl, like picked, developed, like that was that's what he needs to really put a stamp on this." I've we ended the meeting early. I mean, I only, the receivers, we only want like 25 minutes. I just told them like, you know, run their routes and put their hands up. Are you sure? I've got time. And then he wound up back at Boston College several years later as the quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator. It's always funny to like that. I mean, these guys, they wind up. Stan Drayton was a running back's coach his whole life, came to Ohio State, was a receiver's coach for a year. And guys move around. You know the whole game and that kind of thing. But it's like – did they get the best receiver play in the world that year when the running backs coach was trying to teach him how to run routes? Like not that Ryan day can't do it, but what do you think Ryan day does better receivers coaching or quarterback coaching? Right. So um, it's just funny to me to think of like Ryan, like Matt, Ryan's, Matt Ryan was about to be a top five pick and Ryan day's in the building. And it was like, I'm not coaching that guy. No offense to these receivers, but why am I not coaching? I want to coach that guy. So anyway, now he gets to do that. Okay. That'll do it. That was long, but I think we wanted to talk about, you know, this this idea because I think it is valuable. It's interesting for CJ and Justin and the fans, the Ohio State fans who have and always will care about them. But to your points, Nathan, like it means something to Ohio State too. And wouldn't it be fun one year? I mean, we did like no Super Bowls. Like, ah, I don't know, Trey Sermon and Justin Hill. Like we did. Like, well, can you imagine what we would do for a week? I think maybe we could get one of us to go. Yeah, I was about to say. I think if Justin Fields or CJ yeah. Stroud was in the Super Bowl, yeah. like that is a huge stinking deal. And you know who else would be there? Ryan Day on Media Row, making the rounds, talking about the success, what a great player and person Stroud or Fields is. And by the way, I coach them, and I'm still at Ohio State, and boy, we're still looking for quarterbacks. Have you noticed, like, you know who who loves – Be big for Buckeye talk. You know who loves Justin Fields is uh, Michigan grad Rich Eisen. Like, he's been talking him up all year. And uh, he's a Jets fan, I think. And he's been – like, as this rumor was going around about, maybe the Bears would just trade Fields and draft a quarterback. He was like, get the Jets on the phone right now. Trade up. Trade whatever you have to get Justin Fields. Like he's he's seen it in person now in in a couple different ways. And he then Justin Fields actually had a really great interview uh, with him on on Radio Row. I thought this past week talking about the Michigan rivalry. Interesting. Someday, someday, Buckeye talk on Radio Row at the Super Bowl. Yeah. Although we we hate radio. Well, not all radio. Full circle. Just morning zoo drive time. Okay. Thanks you guys for making 
Buckeye Talk part of your week. We'll do the anti-rant on Tuesday. We have uh, a special thing coming. We're going to do a draft that I, Stephen and Nathan and I have talked about. I'm really excited about. We'll do the first version of that draft later this week. Uh, some other stuff, a percolating. As always, make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. Try the text at 614-350-3315. And don't miss the College Football Survivor Show where Shahan Jaharaja and I talk about National college football twice a week. We now have two free episodes a week. That's starting this week. It used to be one subscription, one free episode for the Survivor Show. Now both are free. So we'll uh, see some of you guys over there. For now, though, for Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.